I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson. And, you know, sometimes you read something and think, oh, I can't wait to have that conversation. That happened to me last week, uh, read in Reason, uh, a brilliant piece by John Hood. Uh, John's a contributing editor at Reason. He's a newspaper columnist, uh, he's an instructor at uh, at Duke's Sanford School of Public Policy and uh, the president of John William Foundation, a North Carolina based grant maker. Uh, also, his latest book out uh, is Mountain Folk. Uh, great, great stuff. And uh, John, we appreciate you joining us on the program today. I've been excited about this conversation, uh, knowing that we're going to focus on this idea that ideas and principles and policies uh, aren't just going to be enough in the end. As much as I love those, and I know you love those, <laughs> especially the policy component, uh, we got to have good stories. We do indeed, and I appreciate your kind words, though. It's always better to leap over six-inch hurdles, so I, I would like you to keep your expectations for this conversation low. Um, it is certainly the case. Uh, I spent pretty much my entire career in public policy, either in journalism or uh, in philanthropy or running a think tank, and I still believe in all of those kinds of things. I mean, the, the kinds of conversations that you have on your show – the kinds of articles that I write in newspapers. I've written a number of nonfiction books. I've organized maybe hundreds of panels. You know, And I believe in investing in the intellectual infrastructure that argues for American freedom and American institutions and the like, and I'm, I'm not arguing that we back off of that. But it's also important to remember that while some of us policy nerds might prefer otherwise, human beings are not calculating machines. Uh, we're storytellers. That That's how we grew and survived and thrived as a species. It's still how we act today in this modern world. Um, Richard Weaver, the famous conservative uh, professor years decades ago, wrote this book with the famous title, Ideas Have Consequences. And he's absolutely right about that, but the consequences don't just depend on the quality of the ideas. It depends on how they're presented, the context that they're presented. And I'm strongly convinced, even more so today than I was when I was a young person, enjoying fantasy novels and science fiction movies and historical fiction and all those sorts of things, and I still enjoy those things. But I much more appreciate now, as a more mature person, that those are way more important than the latest journal article on marginal tax rates or the latest legal brief on uh, racial preferences in higher education. Uh, Since I'm engaged in those kinds of activities, or at least funding them, I really wish they were as important as the latest Hollywood movie, but I'm afraid they're not. Yeah, that is so true. I I was chuckling because I remember when I first got back uh, to D.C. as the chief of staff, and uh, always on the you know day before everyone left to go back to their you know in-state work period and do their town halls, 
uh, we always got this stack of brochures from the the Republican conference that they said, you know, take these and hand these out to all your constituents. And you'd open them up and it was just like lists of numbers and numbers of numbers and percentages of numbers. And uh, we'd always look at that and say, I don't think there's a story in there. And uh, from my business background, I, we are everybody wants to be part of a winning story. And it's why we do family history. It's why we watch movies. It's why we wear, you know, certain brand labels and uh, watch certain sporting teams. Uh, and I love this idea that there is a component to this. And, and of course, statistics matter and policy specifics matter. Uh, but there, unless you can get people to see themselves in the context of the story, uh, you're really just uh, making a lot of noise without a lot of forward movement. I agree with that. One one of those nonfiction books that I wrote years ago, probably to to not very much influence, was a book on the history and the economics and the morality of advertising. Mm. And one of the observations that wasn't original to me, but I tried to argue for it quite a bit, is that an ad message, or in this case, a a marketing message of any kind, you you mentioned things that you put on your T-shirt, things that you put on your, your coffee mug, they aren't just ways of getting attention. They aren't just communication devices. They're actually part of the product. They're part of the experience. When you drink a, a soft drink that's endorsed by somebody you admire, uh, you, you're drinking the soft drink, and it would taste the same, presumably, regardless of whether you'd associate it with a hero of yours. But the truth is, it is different. That's why you get heroes to endorse soft drinks and tennis shoes and lots of other things. So my view about advancing human freedom and defending America's traditions and and so forth is that we have to have that kind of mentality. We have to associate our ideas with powerful images, with stories, with with adventures, with experiences that people will that will resonate with people. Uh, We already know this, people who've been involved in public policy, political activity, we already know this because we get all of our our politicians to to write or to, to speak in anecdotes, and we, we tell our journalists to write anecdotal leads. We don't say there's a there, there's a statistically significant relationship between regulation and affordability of housing. Well, that's not how we lead off a story. We tell the story of Jane Brown, who can't find a house at a reasonable price, and it's because the government's made it too expensive to build new inventory. But we start out with the story. Yeah. And my argument is that while that's necessary – we have to go beyond that and actually tell fictional stories, novels, TV shows, artwork, all sorts of poetry, all sorts of other kinds of communication. We have to tell those stories about liberty, too. Yeah, and that was one of the things that I loved about uh, your piece in Reason. Uh, again, ideas aren't enough. Freedom needs good stories because you went uh, you went to some real classics in terms of things that we could learn, uh, whether that was from uh, Return of the King and, and uh, Tolkien or George Orwell. Uh, C.S. Lewis obviously knew a thing or two about uh, turning a story. Uh, but how do we actually get to that? How do we actually start to recognize, OK, these are the stories that that do matter and that will take those ideas uh, to a better place? Well, all of those works that you mentioned, The Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, 1984, Animal Farm, they they don't need our help. 
I mean, they, they are still very popular <laughs> yeah. today. And it's not always the case that people recognize exactly what the, the messages are in those stories, and that's not really necessary. It's you, If you write straight-up political propaganda, but you, you write it in the form of a novel, <laughs> I mean, sometimes that works, but usually it doesn't work. The genius of something like Tolkien – uh, is that there's significant amount of political content in there, but it's not explicit. You have to think about what the ring, the, the ring of power re- represents, and the temptation. Basically, everybody gives in to the temptation, including the heroes. Yeah. Uh, the, the what I mentioned, the only ring bearer, the only person in that story that doesn't give in to temptation is just the simple gardener. And that's actually Tolkien's point: is that you, it's this is not about we have to make sure the right kinds of people wield power. His point was power is inherently dangerous, and the right kinds of people will almost always be corrupted too, so you need to limit power. That was what he was getting at. And the other thing I was arguing in the piece, if you think about George Orwell, uh, unfortunately this is true, but I suspect that generations of schoolchildren learned more about totalitarianism from reading Animal Farm or 1984 than they did reading textbooks about Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union. Yeah. Oh. And they didn't they didn't know all the facts about actual real life totalitarian states, but they got the scariness of it from Orwell. Yeah. Uh, so important. Such a, a a great piece. I've got just uh, one minute and I wanted to ask you this uh as we look at a a culture that is often canceled. <laughs> Uh, how do we how do we get beyond that where you know books and good stories uh, you know suddenly go from being something really good to all of a sudden they're they're gone uh, where we often miss both ideas and principles and policy in the end? Well, I have two quick responses to that. One of them is uh, find publishers who aren't beholden to those kinds mm-hmm. of interests. That's what I did with my my new novel, Mountain Folk, which is a historical fantasy novel that kind of tells the story of the American Revolution. I went to a publisher I knew would not be not be cowed at all by cancel culture. But the other thing that I would say real quick is that the left over uh, exaggerates how much they can succeed here because when you, when they try to cancel books, that often increases their sales. Mm-hmm. So my view is I'm more optimistic about this. There are publishers who will take a chance on a good story, and even when they're out to get you, if you've got a good story, I think you'll win in the long run. That's at least the adventure story I want to believe. Oh, love that. <laughs> and that that's a story I think we all need to buy into, especially on a Monday. Uh, yeah. Great insight. It's a great piece, again, on uh, reason ideas aren't enough, freedom needs good stories. Uh, John Hood, contributing editor at Reason, and also his latest book, uh, Mountain Folk. Uh, Pick that up for a good summer read as well. John, thanks so much for joining us today. You're most welcome. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour break. When we come back, Lee Benson's going to join us with an important conversation about a Utah hero and D-Day. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.